Welcome back to Titans of Customer Engagement, a customer experience podcast by Koros. We're so excited to have legendary Koros Titan Claudius Hendricks on the show. Claudius is the head of community at Data IQ, whose humble beginnings in video game communities empowered him to take up the helm of communities such as Skype, Lithium, and Data IQ. Today's host is Anna Lazarski, director of customer experience at Koros. So sit back and enjoy the conversation. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show today. My name is Anna Lazarski. I'm the director of customer experience at Chorus, and I am really excited for our episode today. Well, I'm excited for every conversation on the podcast, but today I've been really looking forward to learning more about how Claudius Henricks views the topic of customer engagement. The last time Claudius and I spoke, he told me he got so good at home DIY projects during the pandemic that I understand he's run out of things to fix in his own house. So my first question is, where do we send the application to have you move in with us to fix all the half-finished projects that I have? No, I'm just kidding. My actual first question is, please, Claudius, introduce yourself to our audience and share your story with us. What got you to where you are today? Cool. Uh, hi, uh, Anna, and thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Claudius Henrichs. I'm the head of community at Dataiku, and my community story actually starts with being a community member. I used to be a much more avid gamer myself, and uh, part of uh, that, I was part of a gaming community, which um, I was so passionate about that I became a super user and uh, a community manager. Uh, that was a free community, um, and I really enjoyed um, being part of that community, learning from others, uh, sharing sharing new ideas, and, and growing um, uh, new, new gaming ideas together. And... Um, this was a flight sim community, and we had to use some form of communication. So um, I, we discovered Skype back then. Skype was a new tool back in 2003, something like that. Um, and I became a member of the Skype community as well. So uh, again, I became a super user there. And when Skype was looking for a community manager, I thought, wait, my experience with the gaming community paired with my interest in Skype Maybe I should sign up there. And luckily enough, they actually took me. Uh, and um, that's how I spun up the uh, global Skype community back then on Lithium. Some of you might know, rebranded Chorus meanwhile. Uh, so that was five years of running a B2C community, which, which was super interesting. Uh, as you know, back, back then, Skype was a freemium model. And... Um, the um, uh, support scaling use case was super relevant there. So that gave me a really good crash course somewhat because I had to learn by doing how to run uh, such kind of a community. Uh, from there, I actually moved, I switched sites to the supplier. I moved to Lithium. For a while, I was um, uh, working as a best practice center lead. Again, learning a lot from other communities, uh, different industries. Uh, I really enjoyed the time because I learned um, how a community um, has taken different angles depending on the industry that you're working in. And um, then three years ago, a former uh, friend of ours, um, Julia Mel, who used to be the Lithosphere community manager at Lithium, uh, and she had since moved to Alterix, another da uh, data company, um, had joined Dataiku. And she was looking for someone who could help her spin up a new community for Dataiku. And I always loved uh, uh, working with her, and this was the perfect opportunity. 
So that's uh, when uh, we kicked off this uh, thing of uh, spinning up a data science and machine learning community, um, which for me, again, was something new to learn. I am not really into uh, programming AIs, um, but um, very interesting topic, a really enthusiastic young community. So love that. That's awesome. What is it about community, do you think, that it feels like it runs in your blood now? It feels like it's something that has been so important to you in your career and something that you maybe have felt um, kind of close to. I'm curious, what what is it about a community that kind of um, attracted you to it? Hmm. I think there's there's some research about the different archetypes of um, uh, what kind of user a community attracts. And I'm definitely the the helpling. I love uh, helping others solve a riddle, um, a good challenge uh, that the community comes together around uh, and solve it and, and growing together. And that's for me the most uh, the, the biggest motivation. And that's also what I'm looking for when I'm when I'm joining new communities. I'm really cautious now when I sign up for a new community because it could mean that in two years from now I'll be working there given my past history. <laughs> Look out. Yeah. <laughs> um, when we spoke last, I remember you were musing on what you were seeing around organizations, I think, shifting their approach towards the availability of education for their products. Could you explain a little bit more about what your perception has been to our audience and what you think that means around the increasing availability of education or the shift in mindset around education for products? I think what we've seen in our industry of enterprise communities over the last five years, that there's been more awareness around how closely related the learning experience and the community experiences are. and that's because part of learning uh, is it's it's just natural that, that questions come up and you need these questions answered. Historically, there used to be a dedicated uh, learning resource or it used to be your customer success manager who was answering these questions. Uh, but community is an even better pairing because you're actually, uh, you can get these questions answered by your peers and also vice versa. Uh, a lot of community questions actually are a learning opportunity. Um, a lot of the answers to community questions lead to, hey, we already got some learning content. We got a certification that you can take that helps you actually uh, get this question answered. So um, we've seen over the past five years that this has been a more of an uh, established pairing. And what I'm seeing now is that there's a continuation uh, of this pairing, that there's a, a broader understanding that this actually goes just beyond uh, learning and education. And that there's also a link to um, to other teams in how um, the community engagement actually uh, works as a as a director as a community uh, conversation facilitator, um, where um, more and more organizations become aware that your community team is actually your connector to your uh, user slash customer slash um, um, shared purpose audience, um, bringing them together. And this is really interesting because uh, historically um, communities either used to be put somewhere in the marketing or the customer ops or the uh, success side of things. But actually a lot of community specialists, there are all of that. 
and more. They are UX researchers. They are, in some capacity, adoption specialists. They are customer success managers. Um, and they need to be all of that at the same time. And they need to be connected in their organizations to be able yeah. to funnel a question that comes in on the community to the right person. And I think that's what we're seeing right now, um, a little bit fueled by the pandemic, um, that uh, there, there is a need for, for these community uh, conversation curators. Totally. And I, and I think that um, in the pandemic as well, the rise of a community being a place where individuals can learn as a group activity and not just being, this is me on my own. I'm going to take this information and digest it and figure it out myself. Um, but I think communities um, in it, in many different shapes and forms have been able to support that kind of group mentality of let's learn together, let's share ideas together. Um, and I really appreciate that the you, brands or organizations using that as a vehicle um, to encourage, I, I suppose, a more rich brand experience, I think has been has been super positive. So I think what you were saying about the that individual or that community manager um, being the individual at the organization who is at kind of the seam, as it were, between the customers or the audience at scale and those who run that community area or social care kind of strategy. What have you seen um, this kind of shift or what have you seen a shift in the past couple of years with the pandemic mean for that kind of person? Historically, community managers used to be more 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 sourced from a support background, support engineers, some some people that are more technical, um, which which is still good enough. But I think what we need today more is um, some more all rounders that um, um, exercise a lot of empathy, that have um, a lot of uh, qualities in guiding conversations. And I think for me, that's the main shift in, in the personality type that we're looking for when building um, a community moderation and management team. Uh, and at the same time, it also requires a more deliberate split in the team. So, for example, the team that uh, that we have here is um, split between on operational sides, uh, a program management sites, uh, and an advocacy side. And I think that's part of of the maturing of community teams these days, that um, the whole the, the team as a whole needs to function as an all-rounder, but at the same time, there's more speciali specialization within the team. Um, and I think that's, for me, the biggest, the biggest development that was really, um, again, pushed forward by the pandemic because we just needed to scale more. There was more need for, for an online presence um, and... Um, for me, I, I think that's here to stay. Uh, we've we've learned the, about the benefits for the brand, and also for the uh, for the audience. Um, and um, I think going forward, um, this structure of of forming community teams as being um, multifunctional, well connected within the organization, um, that's that's what's here to stay. Yeah, it makes me think a little bit like a librarian as somebody who <laughs> takes the request and then points you in the right direction um, or curates that content 
so that it can be easily found. I am not taking credit for that phrase, though, because that was something that I know you have been passionate about, the community manager as the kind of communication curator for the brand. So you heard it here first. I, I love the librarian picture. It's it's so it's so fitting. Yeah, uh, totally agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, shifting gears a little bit. Last time we spoke, we spoke about omnichannel. Um, and so this, I guess this idea that there are many different channels that consumers or audiences can use in order to speak to the brand or the organization, depending on what their preferred method of communication is. Um, I'm curious how you approach this challenge. How do you feel like you as an organization or you as a person are engaging with your audience or your customers effectively across the channels that they're using? Um, And I suppose a a second part of that question would be, how have you approached that challenge of this holy grail, which is like a 360 degree view of the customer across the channels that they interact on? Do you think this is something that is feasible in in the near future? You know, we're moving to the big topics now. Now we it's are. getting meaty. Um, <laughs> so to answer your first question, uh, we uh, at Dataiku, we are not, uh, we haven't reached a full omni-channel setup. Yeah. For us, omni-channel in the last two years meant moving to cover more hybrid and offline events as uh, a channel of um, of exchange that we have with our audience. Um, so beyond community. User groups and online events used to be like our our second and third uh, biggest channels. Um, I think what we're what we're still learning is how you are connecting these different experiences, because uh, audiences for an online event have different expectations than for an asynchronous community user group. Um, there's there's also a, a different uh, user type preference in whether someone likes to consume um, recorded content at their own pace or um, they, they'd like to drop a well-formulated question on a user group. So um, my initial approach was let's, let's connect both of them. So if we have a local user group and an online event tied to that, let's always make sure that whoever attends an online user group, uh, an online event is part of the user group. But I've learned from feedback from from our um, uh, community that this is not always what is necessary. And I think we need to be aware that um, people still have make a deliberate choice on which channel they use. And that's not just for online events and communities. That's also whether they prefer LinkedIn, whether they prefer Instagram direct messages. I think we need to be very conscious that the user, the audience picked a certain channel uh, and that it, that it's not always the uh, the right move to force them or gently direct them uh, to switch uh, channels. I think that's for me the, the the biggest learning about omnichannel as a general concept. And moving to the second part of the question of the customer three hundred and sixty, I think that's actually really closely connected to this topic because we're still trying to figure out what the different audience profiles are for community online events and user group participations. Uh, and to do that, we're, we're using our own tool. We're basically hooking up all the data sources we can get, the Chorus Spot Data API, our CRM system, Salesforce, HubSpot, 
Um, we use Bevy for actually hosting our uh, online events. So we're getting all of these sources, uh, connecting them and trying to uh, get a better idea about who attends which type of content, who consumes which type of content, who consumes um, after event recorded content. And that's really interesting for us. Uh, but at the same time, it was a, it was a really good learning experience that it's not something you just do while doing BAU. It is it actually requires some real dedication uh, to spin up and build up um, uh, this uh, this customer three hundred and sixty view. And we are in, we're far from being finished with that. Yeah, I think to your first point, I really appreciate the respect that it sounds like you have towards your audience or your customer, saying they have chosen this channel to engage with us on. That is their preference. We need to respect that. I would also say um, that I do, I notice within myself and in within other customers or audiences that I'm exposed to, that they can be quite stuck in their ways. And so I also do appreciate a little bit of that nudging from brands or from organizations to say, hey, try this out, try this other thing, try this community or try engaging with us um, in this way that we'd also like to suggest. Um, because I think getting over some of those fears and embracing some of these new technologies are really exciting. It's just it can be pretty difficult to get or to get users, to get audiences over that kind of initial hump. Um, and I feel like when we spoke last time, we spoke a little bit about um, events. And rather than running, you know, this event is in person and we are going to maintain it as an in-person event only, how can we do a little bit of a hybrid? How can we mm -hmm. make sure that there is asynchronous content or build up content about the event before it happens live so that there is building excitement online? Um, and how can we also make sure that perhaps it's it's streamed live at the time and there is also a little bit of follow-up so that there are several streams going on and customers can kind of broaden what their preference might be towards engagement with other people, um, whether that's with the brand or with, whether that's with their peers. Um, and making sure that those streams are are running um, alongside each other and also interconnecting as a as a sort of future vision. What do you think about that? Have have you seen any have you seen any organizations do that well recently? This, is, this actually has been my biggest disappointment um, over this whole disappointment of the pandemic. <laughs> I would have expected us as an industry as as experts in curating conversations would be much better in um, uh, moving into a more online, 90, 80% online um, experience. And now as we're moving hopefully out of, uh, out of the pandemic situation uh, into embracing more of a hybrid culture. Unfortunately, I haven't really seen someone who's doing the um, who's really blurring the line between offline and online. A lot of online events are still treated like, okay, so we have we have a conference format and we just move the agenda online and we, we follow the same format. There's tracks that you can actually sign up and then there's workshops and they, they run in parallel. Um, so you're not really making a, a lot of good use of, uh, of, of using pre-recorded or, or even uh, offering, uh, offering some content um, ahead of the conference. 
although as I'm just describing it, I have to credit Chorus for some of the recent um, uh, Engage uh, conferences that they did because some of the content was actually uh, made available in advance, which was really good. I could consume it on my own time in my European time zone, which is the other challenge I think we're seeing with uh, with hybrid uh, conferences yeah. that we see much more global audiences. Um, it's not just a challenge, it's actually an opportunity. So yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed that we really haven't solved that. My vision still is um, that yeah. events become more of an part of the ongoing activity in a community so that um, you have a conversation on the community um, that happens two months before an actual uh, organized event. You take that conversation to the event, you share it uh, with a broader audiences, uh, you bring in some experts, you actually invite panelists to answer questions or uh, pick up conversations that happened before on the community so that these events don't feel alien, that they are part of the community experience. And then as these uh, peak um, activity uh, in form of the event is over, you take the, uh, the learnings from the event back to the community and again, open up for, uh, for continued conversations. Um, yeah, I think that, that would be awesome if we can really uh, create more of a almost seamless uh, experience between moving offline, online, and back to offline. Um, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still working on it as well. I'm still looking out for someone who is doing it really well. That's it, though. Like, that is the true, authentic, engaging, omni-channel experience that you're describing. You're just describing it really well in terms of, um, you know, a specific sort of engagement, an event, a sort of a rallied around uh, moment that the, the brand or the organization can curate and, and bring their audience together. I think as you were talking, though, you were describing, and this kind of rang a bell with me, the different departments or the different teams, the different owners of that experience internally that all need to be aligned. Um, and this is something that we've spoken about a couple of times on the podcast before, is that connection of the employee experience with the customer experience. Um, you know, customer a good customer experience doesn't happen by accident. It is worked for toiled for by you know the employees at that organization who overcome obstacles to make sure that that experience is pleasurable or you know free of pain points as much as possible i'm curious what you've seen around kind of challenges within organizations and the way that they can seamlessly work together is there anything that that you've seen that has been quite common and, and that you think across the board we could be doing a better job of? I've I've mainly observed that unfortunately in 2022 siloing is still a thing. Um, well, that there is um, that there's still a lot of communication gaps into what uh, everyone is invested in when they come together to form a project. I think what, what I've seen what works well to overcome that is really a lot of transparency and honesty uh, in your goals and not just being being high level and sharing, I don't know, annual um, OKRs or whatever the current uh, hip thing uh, to use is. Um, but but actually being, being very transparent, this event is about brand awareness. This event is about lead generation. 
um, uh, this this community engagement is actually about building advocacy and loyalty, um, uh, and then drilling it down to actual metrics that you're trying to move. Um, I'm I'm a huge um, advocate for 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 actually metrics driven uh, work because um, I think that's that's where you where you can be most confident that the time you invest actually yields results. Um, uh, and it also, it's always a good reminder in preparation for these projects that, um, um, yeah, you basically align on, on what you're trying to achieve. So transparency around metrics is for me the biggest, um, the biggest lever to actually overcome siloing. Um, and yeah, it's, it's still, it's still a challenge because even when you achieve that alignment once, two months later, there's already so many side projects. It's it's just a constant piece of communication, having an open channel. Um, and I think it's interesting to see that analogy between talking externally, omni-channel. There seems to be an internal omni-channel experience for uh, for the employee experience as well. There is, there's usually an intranet. There's usually uh, an uh, instant messaging platform, Slack, Teams, Skype, whatever, mm-hmm. um, and you have a, you have a similar challenge. Your employees might have a preference to receive communications on email. They will skip your um, uh, internal uh, wiki or your intranet, mm-hmm. uh, while others live and breathe on Slack. So I think there is also something to towards creating an omni-channel employee experience, but. We are digressing a bit. <laughs> That's for yeah. This I'm sure we could go on this for another half an hour. That'll be another to- another podcast topic. We'll come back to that one. Um, but I, I love the approach to to data and um, making sure that your teams are aligned on the metrics that you're working to is such good advice, um, and I think extremely timely for how businesses are are shifting and being really aware of the silos that they have, and trying to think of how do we get rid of these without sort of forcing people to work together, telling them to talk to each other as much as possible. How can we bake that into the you know, their OKRs, their objectives, their key results, their outcomes that they they need to be building towards. Last couple of questions I have for you. Um, I know that you have been such a big part of, I suppose, communities and building the success of these over the past 10 years. I'm curious about any kind of success that you've had recently. Are there any stories of success that that you'd want to share with our listeners today? Any projects? Yeah, I'm actually, I'm super proud that I could contribute to the success of our super user program in the second year already increasing from nine members to 35. Our super users are called the Dataiku Neurons and they are a pretty diverse crowd. They're coming from nonprofit background to um, big pharma. Um, They are uh, building, uh, uh, they're cleaning up the ocean uh, in the Ocean Cleanup Project. Uh, and on the other end, we have someone who is actually working at the Alma Observatory looking into space. So a super diverse audience. And I'm learning so much from them on uh, on data, on data science, uh, and also on being good humans of helping each, uh, and helping each other. And um, my team, uh, as, the, uh, as the community team, 
is is hosting uh, uh, these neurons. Uh, we have one of one of the peer teams that we were very closely uh, collaborating with the advocacy team, and they they were running this program. And I'm just so super proud because our com- our community is pretty young. We're it's a second year, um, and having such a big um, and active and engaged super user program is is making me a proud dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I love the name as well. Neurons. Yeah. Very good. And, and is there anything, what what would you suggest to our audience? I think that this is, this podcast is a great way to share opinions, points of view, recommendations. And so I'd love to capture, is there anything that you think our listeners or our audience should start doing today in order to improve the audience or the the customer experience or to drive engagement? What would you suggest to every organization or every kind of community um, or social um, strategy manager? So the the one topic that I learned a lot over the last two years uh, was data and how much untapped, untapped potential actually lies within data. So I would encourage everyone to really create a separate work stream on how they actually built um, built a data pipeline. Because um, as we've spoken earlier about metrics, um, in order to actually create a smart metric goals, um, you need to have the data available and you need to have data that is actually making sense and reflecting the reality. Uh, we're, we're basically building, we're trying to build a digital twin of our, of our customers and of these conversations. Um, and for that, um, it, it actually, it, it takes a lot of investment and it's very often underestimated. Just today, I actually, I read a tweet from someone um, saying, the community SaaS platform that solves the analytics uh, question uh, for for its customers uh, will own the future. I totally agree, uh, but I think even that tweet underestimates the complexity because um, this customer three hundred and sixty project that lives uh, in an uh, ecosystem of a single sign on system, a CRM, yeah. the community platform. You might have a user events platform. You have a learning management system. Um, and it's, it's, it's almost impossible to come up with a generic solution. Um, so don't treat it as one, don't treat it as just, here's an out of the box Salesforce connector and you're done. You need to actually invest time. You need to invest team resources to come up with a, with a good, um, um, uh, data strategy. But once you have that in place, I think it unlocks a lot of doors also internally because, this data allows you to to prove the classical question ROI to actually um, talk on the same level with your marketing team when it comes to running campaigns, running events, collaborating on events. Um, it is a powerful lever, as we've seen internally when actually talking about product ideation. If you can back it up with metrics, if you can back it up with uh, views, kudos, etc. Um, all of these are uh, are, are powerful um, uh, statements that you can bring to the table. Um, so don't don't underestimate the effort, but also don't uh, uh, underestimate the yield that you get. 
Yeah, I totally agree with um, this being such such a key challenge that if we can solve it, it will be it will you know own the future, as you say. I do absolutely agree with the complexity that this entails, though. Um, I'm thinking about, as you were talking, I'm thinking about this within my own organization or within Chorus. And I'm thinking about, we can look at a set of metrics and I can share that with, you know, my team or with another department internally, and they can have a completely different perspective on it or interpret it in a completely different way. Um, I'm trying not to shy away from that, though. I'm trying to say that's okay. What do you think? How would you read this? Um, what would be your approach towards this data? Because I think if we can embrace those differences of opinion um, and collaborate on what a solution will be, that is the way forward. I often say to my team, as they're looking at their numbers of their um, objectives or their key results or the thing that they're trying to achieve this quarter or this half, what is good? Like, you know, they'll ask me, what is a good number? What is that objectively good for the, you know, for the industry? And I'm saying, I don't think that we can ever answer that question because we are a, I suppose, growing software as a service company. You can't Google this and check how many, you know, podcast listeners should I have after season one? It doesn't exist. So we have to take the figures and, and look at them. Are they going up? Are there some episodes that are performing better than others? Um, what is the other feedback? What are the verbatim feedback that we are receiving um, from our audience as well? And, and putting this together and getting different opinions. And in that way, building that view of, um, of, of data. So I love that approach. Um, I think that is excellent advice for our listeners, for sure. And then before we wrap up, I'm just curious. I know we've talked about successes and we've talked about advice. Is there anything that you want to share with our audience around a failure? Anything that you thought was going to be a, a real success that you've um, that you've undertaken or gone into recently that actually turned out to fall flat? And so if there's anything that, that you've learned from that or that you can share with our audience, that'd be cool. Yeah. So when we launched the community in 2020, we thought, yeah, within three, four months, when we have like uh, a baseline of activity, let's just kick off and, and uh, launch local user groups everywhere. People will just come. It's like open the doors for the community and people will come. We thought the same thing would happen for local user groups. Well, we did a little bit more. We invested a program. Uh, we, we did promotion. Uh, we tried to reach out. And timing-wise, again, it coincided with uh, everyone... Uh, watching Tiger King, everyone uh, getting Zoom fatigue um, and actually not being interested in meeting virtually for, for other user groups. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. The original idea was let's meet in a bar, have a drink, talk about data science and machine learning. Moving that into virtual proved to be much more difficult slash almost impossible uh, to do. So for the first half year, there it was a pretty low activity, much lower than we expected. Uh, then we tried um, moving that into actually um, customer-driven uh, communities. So we actually spun up private communities for our customers where they could have formed their local centers of ex uh, excellence, where they can come together, share best practices, uh, share processes. Um, 
And again, we learned that we we invested too much without listening to these micro communities almost. Um, they need to be run by their own mini volunteer uh, uh, group lead. Um, so yeah, two learnings about closed and semi-closed user groups uh, that I'm approaching different these days. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I was taken back to my beginning with communities. Always listen to the community. When you have a new initiative, when you have a really cool idea, it might just be a cool idea in your head. So always validate uh, and um, do the reality check. Yeah, I appreciate that. Fail fast. Yep. And yeah, it sounds like you're always learning. So that is the that is the main thing. Claudius, thank you so much for being our guest today. This conversation has been so wonderful to be a part of, and I'm sure our audience will have taken something, many things, I'm sure, from it. Um, before we let you go, just wondering where should our listeners go to keep up with you, your work, your musings? Is there anywhere you'd point them in the direction of? Uh, you can find me on Twitter occasionally whenever I start tweeting again when I'm attending a community event. Um, uh, grill underline Chompa is my nick. Um, and LinkedIn. Uh, I think that's that's where I share um, um, a lot of my community news and on Chorus Atlas where I love uh, learning from other uh, community uh, aficionados and uh, uh, where you find me every now and then answering a question or posing one. Thank you, Claudius. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. See you next time on the Titans of Customer Engagement. Thanks, Anna, for having me and uh, looking forward to meet everyone on Atlas. Thanks for spending time with us today on Titans of Customer Engagement, a customer experience podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, leave us a review, and spread the word. Your feedback means a lot to us. Continue the conversation on Koros Atlas at community.koros.com. Until next time. The CX world is now digital first. It's what customers expect, and Koros can help. Koros is an award-winning customer engagement platform built to turn those siloed interactions with your customer into enterprise value. You can harness the power of human connection across the customer experience, from outbound marketing, social, messaging, chat, and SMS, to owned and digital communities. Customer engagement means staying always connected. Find out how customer-first software and services can make you a titan of customer engagement at koros.com.